Tuesday, June 13th, 2017. Time for Episode 8 of the Barnhart Podcast. This past week has been unusually quiet, especially if you've been following the podcast on the YouTube channel. And what do you give the over-under on how many hours this week's show will remain online? Um, you know, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go a little bit longer. Um, I think I'm gonna give this one 20 hours. Let's put me at 20. I'll give 33 hours because 33 is a good magic number. I'll just stick with that one. Right on. All right. We'll see you on the other side. Okay. Well, starting off with light topics. Um, Bill Cosby's trial for rape is almost over, and his legal team gave only a six-minute defense. I don't know if they are simply as no defense for the allegations or if they're trying to set the grounds for an appeal due to insanity at the legal counsel. Bill Cosby is another one of these examples of a loved celebrity in the United States culture, and his downfall is yet another example of somebody who used to be synonymous with good, clean fun and is now a punchline for depravity. Is nothing clean, sacred, or okay anymore? Uh, no, pretty much not. Um, the Cosby thing, I've been watching this and wanting to write and talk about it all along, and now seems a pretty opportune time to do it since it's uh, this whole thing is now coming to what appears to be some sort of a conclusion. Um, the, the point in ter- the way I see it of the whole Cosby dynamic is the fact that so many people knew that this man was a serial rapist. They saw it with their own eyes. Um, it's widely known that Cosby on the set of the Cosby show would have these women come they would be escorted into his dressing room, and then some hours later, these women would be, you know, hauled out of his room, clearly drugged out of their minds, unable to walk themselves out. They would be physically carried out and put into a car by bodyguards and security personnel and so forth. And all of these people on the set of The Cosby Show They all knew what was going on. They all saw it and they all knew. Why didn't they say anything? Why with all of these victims? And I mean, you know, right now, I think the the tally on victims who have publicly come forward and said, yes, this exact thing happened to me. He drugged me with quaaludes or whatever it was. I was completely incapacitated. He raped me. I woke up and was was sent on my way. I think we're we're at least 60, 60 women now have come forth and said, yes, how many scores and scores, probably hundreds and hundreds more are there who have either died because he's been doing this since the mid 1960s, have either died or are, are still just or, you know, don't want the, the media attention, don't want the bother or are scared themselves still potentially. How many scores or hundreds more of these women are there? And all these years nobody said anything. This is this is an extremely important dynamic as we're watching the collapse of Western civilization. This is a subset of the vice of effeminacy. And remember, effeminacy is not femininity. Um, that, that There's a huge uh, confusion in the English-speaking world about these two terms. Effeminacy is the vice of softness. It is the vice by which a person is basically unable to bear any sort of suffering or any sort of personal discomfort or anything like this. And it is contrary to the virtue of perseverance. Okay, so perseverance and effeminacy are are opposites to each other. And if you want to see just how bad people are at this, just turn off Wi-Fi for a couple of minutes and see how, how fast people start screaming. Oh, absolutely. Unable to bear any sort of suffering or hardship. And it's gotten to the point, exactly super nerd, where things like not even having a data signal on your phone just launches people into just the inability to cope with life, you know. And so here we are. And effeminacy is not femininity. It's not being girly. It's of it's a vice, which, of course, transcends sex. It applies equally to men and to women, as we see in this Cosby dynamic, because half fully half of the people who are eyewitnesses to all of this crap going on with Cosby raping these women are women. And all of the victims who have kept their mouths shut for low these many decades, they're all women. There's no indication that he has any um, homosexual perversion about him. 
Um, so I have talked about this and this all applies to my work and my video that I, that I have on diabolical narcissism. Um, specifically what we're looking at here, um, is the alpha beta dynamic. There are alpha narcissists and there are beta narcissists. And what happens is that the beta class of narcissists they seek out and they attach themselves to an alpha narcissist who is usually a psychopath, which clearly Cosby is. C Cosby is clearly a psychopath. Now, here's a little pop quiz for you. Because Cosby is such an intense psychopath, his sexual perversion that he is descended into is particularly grievous and particularly severe. Out there listening and even super nerd, if you want to throw a guess, what is Cosby's um, specific kind of sexual perversion? Any thoughts? Uh, Look at what he quaaludes and the Jello. No, um, right. I'm making, I'm making a joke what, what, on his head. <laughs> that, but that's exactly right. What What does that yield? And what is that sexual perversion called? It yields a oh. woman who's lying there like a... Simulates dead. Sounds like necrophilia. Yes, it's necrophilia. His sexual perversion is necrophilia. He is a psychopath, and he derives intense, intense sexual gratification from having sex with, with what is basically, for all intents and purposes, a dead body. It is the manifestation of complete and total control over another human being, but... Cosby just doesn't um, concern himself or bother himself with the actual killing of a person. So that it's a it's a truly dead body. He uses pharmaceuticals to simulate a dead body temporarily, but he gets the necrophiliacs um, rush off of this. That is how twisted this man is because he is in fact a psychopath. So again, back to the alpha beta. Cosby is clearly an alpha psychopath. All of these other people who are just clamoring around him and covering for him and looking the other way for all of these decades, these could be classified as beta diabolical narcissists who have attached themselves to him. And in a certain sense, the beta diabolical narcissist looks up to and admires the psychopathy of the alpha diabolical narcissist. They they think this guy is a badass and admirable and they are in a sense proud to be part of his his willing thralls and his cult that have followed him around for all of these years. So in terms of Cosby also he's he lived he was doing this basically openly. People, everyone knew he was doing this. His wife knew he was doing this. Hell, he'd have he'd invite young women and young girls over to the house. They, the three of them, Cosby, his wife Camille, and the girl who was about to be raped, would sit and have dinner together. Cosby would then dismiss his wife. She would go upstairs, knowing damn good and well that he was about to drug and rape this young girl that they had just invited over for dinner. The wife knew the wife knew all along. And you think, what in the hell is going on here? Well, this alpha beta dynamic is intensely strong. And the other thing is that Cosby was very much as, as many diabolical narcissists, especially alphas, but it's, it's pretty universal across all diabolical narcissists that they are very, very much into committing their their crimes their sins whatever it is their abuse committing it fairly openly and then just rubbing people's faces in it and and even beyond that observing people as they watch the diabolical narcissist commit the crime cosby has derived over the decades tremendous personal satisfaction knowing what a hypocrite he was. Again, this is, this is a concept about diabolical narcissism that, that morally sane people have a really hard time getting their heads around. You can't shame these people by pointing out that they're hypocrites. They luxuriate in the hypocrisy. Cosby luxuriated in the fact 
that he was a a serial rapist who would then turn around and lecture the black community on how screwed up the rap hip hop culture is. Now, God knows I'm in full agreement with everything that Bill Cosby has said about the disorder and the 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 horrific nature and the destructive nature of the of the black hip hop culture. Pull your damn pants up. Get a job. Don't be an illiterate, you know, mealy mouth, mush mouth, illiterate fool. It, all of that stuff. That's true. And just because this this psychopath Cosby is the person who said it doesn't make it not true. True is true. Wherever truth is, it's there. And it really doesn't matter who the vector is. If Adolf Hitler says two plus two equals four, well, yeah, that's true. Although the double whammy here is you have somebody who is easily condemned and rightly condemned. And and when you make, uh, when somebody else says what they said, you say, oh, now you're just trying to sound like Bill Cosby. Well, okay. It doesn't even, doesn't matter that what they said was true. You, you have now yep. been smeared in a way that uh, it's not what you said. It's who you can be associated with. It, that's exactly pretty- that's that's, a, that's that's why it's called scandal. That's why right. it's called scandal, and that's why scandal is such an incredibly grave sin. Um, so the rubbing people's faces in it, the causing of scandal, um, being being this spectacular hypocrite, and that's that's how Cosby. This that's how this all came came in into full bloom. A stand up comedian in Philadelphia, presumably, went on stage. And, you know, did this riff on this hypocrisy of Cosby and it somehow somebody recorded it and it went viral and people were just like, wait a minute, Bill Cosby's a rapist. And then all these people started Google searching Bill Cosby rape or Bill Cosby rapist. And lo and behold, here comes all of this stuff that there have been accusations of him being a rapist for almost 20 years now and and maybe even it was it was hinted at and it was known before it was known before that he even though he was married and had five kids that he was in the playboy mansion like multiple times per week everybody knew this um so but this whole business of just rubbing people's faces in it and then observing people as they watch you in the hypocrisy this is textbook diabolical narcissist behavior and again just reiterating when you're dealing with these people, pointing out that they are hypocrites doesn't have the corrective effect that it has on morally sane people. In fact, these people luxuriate in their hypocrisy, just as Satan luxuriates and the demons luxuriate in hypocrisy. And, and you know, well, you did this and you did that. Well, they, they don't care. It's just water off a duck's back to them. And if anything, they're getting off on it. So the higher, so the higher the contrast between their their personal persona and what they really are, the more proud they are. So it makes me wonder, how do you actually get through to or annoy or wake up a diabolical narcissist? Or do um, you? You kind in a certain sense you don't, but in another sense, um, you you call them out for what they are, and and you tell them, I know what you are. You can't hurt me anymore, and that infuriates them. They actually do hate to be challenged. And so um, that's really the best you can do is call them out, say, look, this is what you are. This is what you've done. I know what you are. I know the truth about you. You no longer have any power over me. And I cover this in the diabolical narcissism video. And the the example I give is what if an actual, if if a demon, a fallen angel materialized in front of you and was standing there in front of you, you know, telling you, I hate you, you're awful, F you, hurling obscenities at you, look at you, you make me sick, F you, da 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 da. Would, would you be, would you have your heart broken by this if a demon was standing there saying this to you? Well, probably not. You wouldn't be hurt because, you know, it's, it's a demon. You know exactly what it is. What else would you expect from a demon than that than that it would hate you? Why would you be hurt and offended that a fallen angel and a minion of hell hates you? In fact, it's kind of flattering in a certain way. That's what's that's why Satan uses other human beings who are diabolical narcissists to do the vast, 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 vast majority of his dirty work, because we it's it's much easier for us to get our hearts broken 
when it's another human being and then good grief, if it's another human being that you actually love, who's standing there telling you, I hate you, you're terrible, F you, look at you, you make me sick, F you, da, 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 da. If it's if it's another person, much less a person that you love, that that can drive the the victim of that themselves into diabolical narcissism because they'll say, okay, I'm done. I will not love anymore. I'm done with human beings. That's the end of it. And then that person has now started the the descent into diabolical narcissism. So um, I guess the next question is, why do these people, these beta narcissists, why do they put up with this stuff. Why do they not blow the whistle? Why do they not report a man who's clearly, clearly a serial, a serial rapist? Because and the they're answer, making good money at being part of the entourage, exactly. I'm sure. Well, most of the time it's money, power, status, being connected with someone who was as famous, who is as famous as Cosby is, made all of these people not, I mean, the people on the Cosby show were obviously getting a very handsome paycheck and they don't want that to stop ever. And, um, there's an interesting thing, Malcolm Jamal Warner, who is the guy who played Theo Huxtable. He recently, just like within the last couple weeks or so gave an interview in which he said that this whole business of Cosby's, um, rape trial and so forth is costing him money because all of the outlets that were running the Cosby show in repeat syndication have stopped running it. And so all of these actors who were on the Cosby show, they have contractual residuals that they're getting such that every time an episode of the Cosby show airs, they get a little paycheck out of that. And so now the fact that the Cosby show is no longer airing in syndicated reruns anywhere, none of these people are making their residuals anymore. And Malcolm Jamal Warner was whining about this. And well, I yeah, was that, just like, that cuts into his alcohol and cocaine budget. Well, I, I don't want to accuse him of that. I, I'm, 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 totally jo any, I'm totally joking have, about that. Just making a no generalization idea. about Hollywood types. Um, I, mean, I should, I should take anything, that back. If anything, Malcolm Jamal Warner actually kind of seemed like – and again, I, I don't know these people, but as Hollywood people go, he seemed like he was kind of a decent guy. I mean he, he doesn't have uh, – I think he does have children, illegitimate children, so on and so forth. But again, this is damning with faint praise. For these Hollywood people, especially the fact that he was a child Hollywood star, he seemed like he was not a completely terrible human being. But – but there he is whining that, oh, you know, this serial rapist that I I tolerated and I saw, well, this is cutting into my into my income now. Well, boo hoo, honey. I'm, I'm sorry, but we really don't care. So maintaining status, elite connections, um, obviously work and money. They don't all these people who are on the Cosby show. I'm sure they all knew that if they said anything, that they would be promptly fired and replaced by somebody else, even as popular as that show was that Cosby wouldn't hesitate to do it um, for, for a lot of people, not specifically talking about Cosby now, but maybe even a certain sense. Yes. Maintaining social connections. This is I see this all the time. I, I mean, I have personally seen a dynamic where there was a social circle in which the central hub of the social circle was re was revealed to be a sacrilegious sodomite. And nobody would say anything. The whole response to this is, let's pretend that we know nothing and that this doesn't matter and we're just going to stick our heads in the sand about this. And these are trad Catholics. These are trad Catholics who are sticking their heads in the sand about the fact that the center of their social life, this hub of their social circle, is a sacrilegious sodomite. That means a sodomite who is having sex with, with clerics, okay? And it just it just blows your mind. And it you see this effeminacy, this intense effeminacy. And in some cases, you can see this alpha beta dynamic going on, wherein a lower level case of people who are either diabolical narcissists themselves or are just merely extremely effeminate, have attached themselves to an alpha above and then w are just willing thralls to this alpha and will will 
will broach no criticism whatsoever of this person because they're just desperate to maintain social connections. Look at Facebook. Look at all of this intense, quote unquote, peer pressure that's being leveraged upon pretty much everyone in the society because everyone to one degree or another is either diabolically narcissistic or the vast majority of people are just suffering from the vice of effeminacy to one degree or another. Look how much leverage social media and all this peer pressure has on people. That's what that's all about. Now, in terms of Cosby, I want to talk especially about Camille Cosby, um, his, his wife, who, again, knew this was going on, put up with it, turned the other way. And not only that, but cultivated a, a persona, an image for herself of this um, noble woman of color, this woman of, of intense wisdom and gravitas, and look at this wonderful role model for all black women. And the same could also be said of, um, what's her name, Felicia Rashad, who is the woman who played Claire Huxtable on The Cosby Show. She does this too. When you see interviews of her, she has always put on this incredibly fake, rehearsed, phony, insincere air of gravitas. And it's there's a this is very common amongst these these black women who want to hold themselves out as being these morally superior um, exemplars of of women of color. All they do and you can see that they've gone in their bathrooms and they practice this. They just speak really slowly and then make these incredibly profound, um, um, pensive facial expressions while they're talking. Maya Angelou did this. You know, Maya Angelou was a horrific poet, would write the most ridiculous, banal poems, but she would stand up and she would deliver them by speaking very slowly and with this very rehearsed, um, very rehearsed expressions and so forth, facial expressions. And there's a, Oh, what a, what a wise genius black woman this is. No, it isn't. It's, it's a complete put on Camille Cosby, Felicia Rashad. Um, the, the girl who played the eldest daughter, Sabrina LaBeouf. I had to look her name up. All of these women, I'm sorry. And I'm going to use some language here. And this might be where the, the, this week's YouTube ban comes in. These women are all house niggers. Okay. It lets use their own terms. They are, it doesn't matter that Massa, which is Cosby is a black man. Okay. It's exactly the same dynamic. These women are all house niggers to Cosby's Massa. And, and it makes me sick. It makes me absolutely nauseous. And I've wanted to call these people out on this for for years now, holding yourself out as morally superior when you turned a blind eye to women getting drugged and raped right under your nose by this man so that you could maintain your paycheck. Are you kidding me? Get get off your high horse, ladies. You're you're just hags to this man. You have no moral gravitas. You have you have no moral moral bearing. You have no bearing of of nobility in any sense. You're you're trash. I can't think of anything trashier than that to sell out young women, young women who went to this man thinking that he was a role model and that he would actually be of some sort of genuine charitable help to them. And all they were, were piece, literally pieces of meat that Cosby would use to simulate dead bodies in order to service his necrophilia perversion and fetish. And these women, these women were full-blown enablers of it. Um, so this dynamic is, is just omnipresent in, in our society. The Cosby thing is just a, a, a very glaring example of it, but there's so many examples of this. Look at, look at government. Look at people in government like the Clintons. Everybody around the Clintons knows what the Clintons are. They know that they're criminals. They hear the, the loud mouth raging fits, uh, the foul mouth raging fits of Hillary Clinton. They knew Bill Clinton was raping and, and fornicating with anything that, anything with legs, anything that would walk. 
These people all knew that these people were murderers, grifters, criminals, and yet in the government, nobody says anything. Washington, D.C., this is why it is an, just an irredeemable swamp. When you stop and think about the thoroughness of the moral corruption that exists in Washington, D.C., when such a massively high percentage of the people who are holding high-level and even mid-level offices are full-blown psychopaths and arch-criminals, and nobody says anything. Do you, do you now realize how deep this corruption is and how base, you can't change who's in the White House. You can't even, I don't think you can't even change, you know, the balance of power in, in the Congress or anything even close to that to rectify this because the moral corruption of these people is so profound. Sheila Jackson Lee, this woman is teetering on the precipice of mental retardation. I wouldn't hire Sheila Jackson Lee to scrub toilets in a Burger King in a bus station. She's that stupid, and also she's that immoral. She's a horrible, horrible human being, should be in prison, is profoundly abusive to everyone that she's around. I mean, like, serious, hardcore, physically hitting people. I mean, being, having, having Sheila Jackson Lee tell you you're a stupid effing blah, blah, blah is minor. This woman has been known to physically assault her staff. She's insane. And nobody says anything. There's a few people, there's a few staffers who, under the cover of anonymity, have tried to get, you know, the word out that this woman is is just morally insane nobody will listen nobody will pick up on it oh well we have to maintain our connections to power and a lot of times i think that people prefer that some of these people in power be extremely stupid because then you know they can keep the gravy trend coming back to them um ted kennedy everyone knew teddy the swimmer was a not just a rapist and a murderer, but he was notorious for sexually assaulting waitresses. I mean, the, the famous anecdotes about um, Ted Kennedy, you know, making waitress sandwiches with other members, with other male members of Congress, that they'd grab a waitress in a restaurant and the two of them would hump her, one from one side, one from the other. And that's sexual assault. They would do this openly in restaurants. Nobody, nobody said anything. Ted Kennedy would openly make jokes about having murdered Mary Jo Kopechny um, at Chappaquiddick. And nobody, he, nobody would say anything because, oh, we want to maintain the elite connection to the Kennedy family, power. Um, and for a lot of people, once they get into that Washington, D.C. thing, it's such a money train and there's so much money laundering going on. Nobody's willing to let go of that. The same with the financial industry, corporate culture. People, the things that are going on in the upper levels of some of these these corporations and financial entities and so forth, are, the sexual perversion, the just gross, gross immorality, nobody will say anything because everybody wants to keep their job. And I think I even said on an on a early podcast, I was guilty of this to some extent when I first started in the industry. When I first started in the industry, I was in an office in which the secretary was literally operating as a white collar prostitute. And I don't say this because I put two and two together or anything like that. I say this because she actively specifically tried to recruit me for a, a period of months to also uh, engage in white collar prostitution. And she told me, I can hook you up with men who will pay you a hundred dollars in cash. All you have to do is either, you know, ha give them a blow job or have actual vaginal sex with them. And if you do, if you do this twice a week, and, and I'm not kidding. She, she talked about the tax benefits of all this. If you do this twice a week, if you make $200 in cash per week, that will pay your rent because the apartment I had at the time was 800 a month. And then she sat down and she, she drew, drew out this diagram that, see, your tax bracket right now is this. And so since you don't pay taxes on any of the money that you make having sex with the, that you would make having sex with these guys, then um, that means that effectively you're making X percentage more for every dollar that you make um, having sex with these guys. And I'm just I'm just sitting there flabbergasted, flabbergasted, looking at this woman 
Everybody knew she was doing this. She really didn't make any bones about it. Oh, she also tried to tell me that you don't also necessarily have to be paid in cash. You can also be paid in kind. And so she took me to her house one day and she showed me all of the pieces of furniture that she had acquired by payment in kind for white collar prostitution. And she showed me her wardrobe and this outfit and this outfit and this outfit and this outfit. This was all paid for by prostitution. And everybody in the office knew this was going on. And I tried to say something to the office manager. And I was told that I either dropped it or I could find employment elsewhere. And I, I wanted the job and the job was so perfect that I, I dropped it and I didn't say anything. And I, I regret it tremendously, tremendously. So even, and this is before my conversion and all that, but still, I, I'd like to think that I wasn't a psychopath by any means. You know, I haven't, I haven't emerged from psychopathy, but I obviously didn't have the moral formation, the more, the moral formation I have now. But I like to think that even in terms of the natural law, I knew how wrong this was. And yet I wasn't willing because of effeminacy. I was not willing to say, you know what? I cannot be associated with you people. I cannot be associated with a, with an office in which this kind of behavior is tolerated, even in just looking the other way. And I should have quit, but I didn't. But such is life and we live and learn. But it's, it's a very interesting thing that pretty much all of us have this temptation, I think, that, oh, we, we, want, we want what we want. And when we're in a situation that is extremely beneficial to us, especially financially, um, it, it gets really, really difficult for people to, to take these stands but then again, you know what I would say? Up until about 50, 60 years ago, I think people took these stands a lot. I think bad people were driven out of situations. I think, in fact, I, let's look at the church. I think that up until the middle of the 20th century, that if a priest was a flaming queen or was caught with a boy or something like that, uh, steps were taken, man. In fact, I was told an, anti an anecdote about um, a situation that was in either the very late 19th century or the very early 20th century in rural Kansas. So kind of out on the frontier. And um, a priest was caught in flagrante, actually raping a boy. He was caught. Men saw this. Men caught the priest and the boy. And it was a young boy. And um, the, the men who caught the priest um, told him that we are going to take you out and we are going to shoot you and we are going to bury you. So you need to you need to make your peace with God. But this is what's happening right now. They took him out. They shot him. They buried him. They went back into town. Nothing was said to spare the boy. You know, there weren't trials for pedophilia back in the day because pedophiles were just taken care of in accord with the natural law and, and also accord in accord with the divine law. You don't need to drag the kid and the family through the humiliation and embarrassment of, of a trial and, and publicly exposing all of this because that, that in and of itself could actually do more damage than the kid actually being raped. You take, you take the priest out, the men of the community working together, and I think the sheriff was present too when, and the sheriff is, is, is the top law enforcement officer actually in any community. They took care of this. They executed the priest. They buried him. And then they went back and Sunday rolled around and Father So-and-so didn't show up to say mass. And they wrote a letter to the bishop and said, Father So-and-so did not show up for Sunday mass. And there is no sign of him in his home. Please send another priest. And that was it. See, people used to self-police. People used to call out and, and take care of these problems. They used to shame people who were engaging in a moral activity. People were driven out of polite society and polite company. And now our culture has, has descended so far that we just, we just don't even, don't even do it anymore. Everybody just looks the other way. And it's all about me, 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 and maintaining my, my lifestyle, my income, my elite connections, my status, et cetera, et cetera. And it just the whole thing makes me sick. But if you want to see just a mirror of post-Christian 
culture, this post-Western neo-pagan culture, all you have to do is look at the Bill Cosby situation because it's just it's everything all wrapped up in one. And if you do try to speak out against somebody, they're going to say, oh, you're mean trying to trying to say that you're you're that, that, that somebody is into these activities or you're committing microaggressions, which is one of the biggest limp wristed uh, accusations you could make against somebody. Oh, microaggression. If microaggression. You're a, real, you're a real human being. You should be able to take real aggression. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What are they going to do? What are they going to do when people start getting you know, beaten with billy clubs in the streets. And it's coming to that. They're having, they're having a situation now where I think it's on Berkeley. Well, no, it's not Berkeley, but it's some other Uber leftist campus that these social justice warriors are now walking around patrolling the campus with baseball bats ready to defend against anybody offending. I, I don't even hate speech or whatever it is. We're descending quickly into this kind of French Revolution mob mentality where they will be beating and eventually executing people publicly for not falling in line with this totalitarian, satanic ideology of this social justice warrior crap. Now, talking about a satanic angle there, the more effeminacy you imbibe in the culture, the more impossible it gets to, to make a heroic stand for the faith. Are we going to have martyrs? Are people going to have the, the fortitude to give their life or even just endure discomfort for the faith? Boy, I don't see it. I don't see it at all. People won't cancel their cable. People won't, buy, people won't drive you know, 45 minutes across town to get to to get to a, an old mass, even though they want to just driving 45 minutes is too far. Can't go without TV. Can't go without, you know, if their phone doesn't have signal, like you said, it's it's the end of the world as we know it. Oh, I've heard of cases I, where, where flights were almost diverted because people, the, the in-flight entertainment systems weren't working for some of them and they almost yeah. rioted. Yeah. I mean, do we honestly think that when ISIS or the social justice warrior army shows up and starts giving people ultimatums, apostatize from from the Church of Jesus Christ, or we are going to kill you or we are going to beat you severely? Do do I honestly believe that the vast majority of people in this culture will stand firm? Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. That's why. I think the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, we keep talking about this. This is going to require supernatural intervention. I, I don't see how there is any way on this current trajectory that anything short of supernatural intervention will correct this cultural situation. No way. Well, and unfortunately, this situation is – we get this because we deserve it. Uh, the, there's there's the famous line yep. by St. John Hughes that the, the priests we get are the ones that we deserve. And, and if we have bad priests and bad leaders, it's because we haven't given a crap sufficiently. We are not sincere in our faith. We are not sufficiently Catholic. And so we're getting what we deserve. Well, I, and, I, and a point I, I wanted to make that I kind of glanced over is I want to talk briefly about all of these fag priests that have and child molesting fag priests that have infiltrated into the church and that feeds into this as well. How have these faggot priests been able to just continue to operate and get away with all this? I blame the women. I blame the women who have basically taken over these Novus Ordo parishes. The Novus Ordo intrinsically has the effect of driving away heterosexual men because it is it is designed to be um, to be feminine. It is designed to be feminine and it is designed to be, in a sense, repulsive to virile, potent, heterosexual men. Well, at a theological level, one of the biggest critiques of the Novus Ordo Mass is that it lacks the sense of sacrifice. And when you don't have sacrifice, you you are lacking a role for the priest. And the, 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 the sacrificial priest is an essentially masculine role. You take that away, what do you get for the priests? Exactly. Exactly. It, it turns into um, sodomite father jazz hands vector for his um, unfulfilled dreams of being a Broadway star. And those of you who know, you know that that description, whilst amusing in and of itself, it's funny because it's true. It's funny because it's true. It's just a performance vector for a bunch of sodomites. Okay. So, but in terms of these priests who, who have been these child molesters and so forth, 
How how have these guys been tolerated and allowed to get away with this? Did nobody see any of this crap going on? Of course they did. It's the same damn thing. These women who are beta diabolical narcissists who have attached themselves to these sodomite priests, child molesters, psychopaths above. Okay, why do they attach themselves to them? First of all, flattery. What does scripture say? What does it say right in, I believe it's Romans. I think it's that passage in Romans. What is the first word that is used to describe sodomites? Flatterers. Flatterers and haughty, okay? So these women who are morally weak, if some fag priest flatters them, then, oh, don't you look nice today? And, oh, he's always so nice to me. He always has a compliment for me. Women tend to be so weak like this that flattery will just send them over the moon for somebody. Now, couple that, couple that with the even more insidious dynamic of it has been these faggot priests since the middle of the 20th century who have been telling these women that it is perfectly fine for them to contracept, that it is that all of these sins against the sixth commandment, that divorce and remarriage is no problem. And for some of them, uh, a small percentage, but I've heard stories about this too, faggot priests telling women that in vitro fertilization is no problem. Rome is wrong. Don't worry. This is all going to change. No, dear, you're absolutely right. You go ahead and contracept. There is nothing, nothing more bewitching and attractive to fallen concupiscent man than someone or something that ratifies you in your sins. And the sins of the sixth commandment are, are the ones that have as a percentage, that is the, the, the biggest vector that Satan uses to go after people. So these faggot priests flatter and then ratify these women in these Novus Ordo parishes. And then the, the women then see that the priest is a fag. They see that he's making googly eyes at the boys. They see that what his agenda is and what he's about. In fact, it gets to the point where it becomes a joke. And it's just this open little secret that father either has a boyfriend or, you know, fa- father sure does like those teenage boys, doesn't he? And it's these damn women who have turned a blind eye to all of this. Because remember, most of the men are gone. And the ones that are there are the kind that are completely effeminate and are, oh, this is language too. But this, I can't think of another term for this right now. They're pussy whipped, okay? That's, that is the forward term for it. They've got, you've got all of these post-Christian white North American men who are completely pussy whipped by their wives. And they just they just shrug their shoulders and these women are running these parishes and I blame the women for being the they should have been the one. I mean, for the love of Pete, the women should have been the ones at the first line of defense defending children from predator sodomite males. And it's the women who are who are the ones who sold the boys out. So ugh, for, the, come, sake, for come, the sake of flattery, they abandoned their own maternal nurturing instinct. Exactly. Absolutely correct. So much for a light topic. Yeah. <laughs> let's um. Let's uh. Let's do quickly that uh, that email that we got this week. Yes, uh, we got a few emails, including thank you very much to uh, my fellow nerds who did the backup of the YouTube channel after mm-hmm. uh, after the last episode of the podcast got removed. We have uh, everything nicely backed up. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we also got an email from. Let's just use uh, his initials, APG. Hey, guys. Mm-hmm. First off, I just wanted to say how much I love the podcast. I can't thank Anne enough for how much I have learned from reading her website and now listening to the podcast. See, this is another vote for people who like listening as opposed to reading. Although he, yeah. he, he does say he does say he reads, but it does both. It seems like every week I learn something new. I must say it's very refreshing to hear somebody who believes fully what the Catholic Church teaches and is not afraid to tell you the truth, no matter how hard it is to hear, or mm. I'll, I'll parenthetically add, whatever language is necessary to get the point across. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I know you guys get a lot of email ideas for the show, but I just wanted to pitch mine. Could you guys talk about why the famous Catholic media people in the United States are so scared to stand up for Christ? I've asked this question a lot, and I've never gotten a good answer. 
it bugs me to no end how people like Tim Staples, Scott Hahn, Jimmy Fakin, I'm sorry, Jimmy Aiken, <laughs> EWTN, etc., make a lot of money from going around giving talks at conferences, doing shows, writing books, but they won't stand up for Christ during this huge crisis. No, I think he just answered his own question, but go on, go on, super nerd. I've personally written to Tim Staples asking him questions like this, and I just get bullshit answers. And uh, uh, that's my word. Um, he was too polite to put it that way, but let's just call it what it is. Mm-hmm. I truly believe the reason that these people won't stand up for Christ, even against the cardinals, bishops, priests who are demolishing the faith, is because of money. Hey! Oh, and I would also like to throw into that the uh, that list of nefarious characters, also the anti-pope, anti-pope Bergoglio. But go on, super nerd, go on. They know that if they preach the full truth, they won't be invited back into the diocese to do their conferences. They'll be blacklisted, stores won't carry their books, and these are the people we look to as, quote, great examples, end quote, for modern-day Catholics. Another example. I remember speaking with a person who attended Franciscan University at Steubenville, and he took classes from Scott Hahn. I said, if Dr. Hahn is such an expert in the Bible, then why is he so silent on the Novus Ordo Mass? I told him that Dr. Hahn is a very smart biblical scholar, and he is very knowledgeable about the Old Testament, especially the liturgical parts of the temple worship. I asked him why Dr. Hahn keeps putting out books and doing conferences basically saying, quote, Hey guys, don't worry, everything's just fine. Look at how blessed we are to have Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict, and Pope Francis. Vatican II was such a blessing, and the new Mass is so biblical, end quote. If you were to answer honestly, he would have to admit that the new Mass is a horrible invention that has no organic growth in, in Catholic tradition. Basically, this friend couldn't answer me because he knew I was right, and to agree with me would, would be to say that Dr. Hahn and company is, are doing nothing short of being cowards, and I would say not to mention uh, committing theft for cashing paychecks for teaching uh, theology and Bible studies, if that's what you're mm. teaching. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I love the show, and I look forward to it every week. Thanks again for all you do. Well, there you go. I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a question email that basically answered itself. I agree 100% with APG. What this is about, um, it's about money. And, you know, Scott Hahn, I, I bought and read all of Scott Hahn's books when I was in my, you know, intellectual conversion process in those years leading up to 2007. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's compelling stuff. It's and and the the stuff about um, the the connections between the Old Testament and and the holy sacrifice of the Mass. That's all rock solid, and that that informed me, no question. The other thing I want to say about Scott Hahn is I've never met him in person. Um, but I, I'm sure he's an absolutely lovely man. I'm sure he's he's very nice, and he would be delightful to have into your home, to sit down at your table and, and eat dinner with. That doesn't matter. The truth is the truth. And yes, I think our, our correspondent here, APG, is 100% correct. The reason why these people will not stand up and speak the truth and admit that the Novus Ordo is a complete disaster conceived in malice, yada, 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 is because there is no money. I mean, your, your career will be ruined. Traddy land, uh, such as it is, is, is tiny. It is microscopic. It, in fact, we make the joke that, you know, no matter where you go in the world, on the planet, you, if you go to a Sunday mass, there are multiple people probably in that mass that you're only one degree of separation from, that you were only one degree of separation from before. Well, do you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah, well, I know so-and-so. Well, we're mutual friends. I mean, this happens all the time. It's such a small community. What that means is that the market, the market for traditional Catholic, basically anything is just is just minuscule. Now, the conservative, neocon, neo-Catholic, Novus Ordo market is a sizable market. And people like Scott Hahn and so on and all these other guys and EWTN and Raymond Arroyo and blah, 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 these people can all make very good livings off of this. They can get along very well. They can get teaching positions. Um, there's basically only one or two truly um, trad Catholic 
colleges anywhere in the United States. Um, so if you're an academic and I, I hear this all the time from trad Catholic academics. I have to keep my head down because if I don't, I will be completely unemployable. You know, at all of the positions at Wyoming Catholic College are filled, which means, therefore, that there's nothing else for me as a traditional Catholic scholar. That's what I hear all the time. Also, so money, obviously, is number one. They're, they can't walk away from this because they can't walk away from the paycheck. They can't, there's no TV, there's no trad Catholic TV. I mean, I don't even count Voris anymore as being in that. Voris is a completely separate, weird, very, very weird thing over on his own. Um, and just, just the overall fame of getting to go on EWTN and all of this. People find it extraordinarily difficult once they have achieved a certain level of this kind of worldly success to turn their back on it. Again, the elite connections to bishops and cardinals, these people, they want to be in the good graces of these bishops. They know damn good and well that most of these bishops are arch heretics. Many, many, if not most of them are sodomites. And yet, oh, well, we're just willing to look the other way. We have to be in the good graces of the bishop so that we can continue to make money and hawk our wares and, and sell our books and blah, 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 and go to and be invited to conventions and la, la, la. So again, Scott Hahn, sure, he's a very nice man. He's clearly smart. But the fact it, for me, and I think that APG was kind of tapping into this a little bit, too. It's precisely the fact that Scott Hahn knows as much as he knows that, in a sense, you know, condemns him even more. Scott Hahn is not ignorant about any of these things, especially liturgically. In fact, he's one of the he's one of the experts in the Novus Ordo Church today on the interconnectedness of the liturgy of the Old Covenant with now the New Covenant and the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass and the Office and, and all of these other things. He's one of the he's one of the four foremost experts in this, which it, it, it just puzzles us all the more as to why it is that he can't stand up and say the truth about the Novus Ordo and why he continues to go to it. It, it, It's just so impossible for so many people to ever say I was wrong. And now I want to make a precision here because Scott Hahn is a convert. He's a convert from fundamentalist evangelical Protestantism. Okay. He was, he was, there's an anecdote in, in one of his books, um, in which he actually destroyed a rosary from that was given to him by, I think, a grandparent or something like that. And um, he actually destroyed a rosary. And he he said that he was wrong in terms of making the leap from ceasing to be a Protestant heretic and entering the one true church. However, um, now that he's famous and now that he's so established and he's, you know, generating cash flow and admittedly supporting his family and, and all of that, it's now, it's now when he has all of this earthly success and comfort in all of this, now he can't take the next step and, and say, I was wrong about, about the Novus Ordo in the sense that it's not okay. It is. It is a. It is an attack. It was conceived in malice. We need to go back to the mass of Pius V or, or the Venerable Gregorian Rite, or even talk about even talk about the the traditional Byzantine liturgies. Just anything. But this Novus Ordo, this was conceived in malice, and this has resulted in mass apostasy. So. Um, and I, I want to take I want to close out with this thought that this dynamic of a person who is just completely unable because of pride, because of f- fear, whatever, who cannot look back and say, I was wrong. The the quintessence of this in the church today is Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI. Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, was basically one of the foundational key figures in the Second Vatican Council. And he is incapable of of looking back and saying, this was a disaster. What we did was wrong. 
um, our theology was wrong, my metaphysics is wrong, and and this is all now snowballed and snowballed and snowballed to, to now he has made this tremendous, tremendous, substantial error, quoting canon law, about this, this failed attempt to abdicate and bifurcate the papacy. And one of the things that is so sad is that he could end all of this tomorrow if he would just say, I was wrong. That's all he has to say is I was wrong. And he doesn't even have to say it necessarily about Vatican II. I mean, step by baby steps, baby steps. First, just say I was wrong in what I attempted to do. Well, he's and, he's he's even mildly put his finger on the point a couple times. And I, and I want to read a quote, uh, except mm-hmm. it, you, it spoils it to say who said this because you just said his name like seven times. Mm. Quote: It is sad that there are what we might call professional Catholics who make a living on their Catholicism, but in whom the spring of faith flows only faintly in a few scattered drops. We must really make an effort to change this. That's Pope Benedict XVI. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's sad to watch, and, you know, it seems to me, and um, perhaps next week we're going to talk about apostasy and heresy and how this is all coming to fruition, um, but it seems pretty clear that what we're on track towards is um, the anti-Pope Bergoglio, whose entire existence as anti-Pope is a direct result of the actions of Pope Benedict XVI and his failed, uh, substantially erroneous attempt at at partially abdicating um, the papacy. And there's there's prophecy about, you know, a Pope, who or someone who remains silent and should have spoken up. I think it seems pretty clear that what we're on, what we're on just a nosedive trajectory for is anti-Pope Bergoglio and his Soros new world order minions setting up a completely different new church, um, declaring that the, the actual church, the quote unquote old church, the bride of Christ is no longer valid and no longer exists that they are going to try to set up a new church and that and that Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger will sit in silence and watch this when all he would have to do to end this entire thing is say, I was wrong. And also what all he would have to do in order to um, completely consign the, the failed Second Vatican Council to the dustbin of history where it belongs is if he would just make a public statement and say, speaking as one of the... Um, the seminal, seminal foundational, um, he wasn't a father of the council, but he was one of the most influential people at the council. He was, I te- was wrong. technically called, it was a puriti, which in the theological sense is like calling him a theological super nerd. A theological super nerd, a, a, a consultor, a consultant. Yes. Um, but he was extraordinarily influential and all he would have to say is I was wrong. And what's sad to watch is that these people are just not capable of doing that. They can't say I was wrong. And so and that's that's, of course, a function of pride. And we all know where pride is in the hierarchy of sin. Yes, it um, it it is the, the, the capital of all capital sins from which everything else flows. Indeed. Well, super nerd, I think that we've. <laughs> I think we've probably ruined enough people's day. I think we should just kind of stop right here and we'll save the uh, the conversation about apostasy and heresy that we just touched on. We'll save that for next week. Yeah, it, let's I was gonna say stop over ahead, but uh, before we keep digging. Um, yeah. Any other final notes? Um, just once again, undying thanks to one and all. And th- I would like to say thank you again to the enormous response to all the nerds out there who um, backed up and and um, made sure that my YouTube channel doesn't completely go away. Um, I would I would request that if there are any nerds out there, just continue to take these podcasts and do the same thing. Just back them up just in case. I mean, Super Nerd has these on. You have it on MP3 solid on your server, so there's no chance of it going permanently away. But, you know, it's, it's better safe than sorry. I've got it backed up in a few different locations. Sure, cool. All right, but thanks again, everybody, for all of your help on that, and um, we'll just we'll just keep keep chugging along, and we'll we'll trust that as many people. My prayer is is that exactly as many people as need to or should hear this will hear it, and no more and no less. So that makes it uh, that makes it pretty difficult to be disappointed. And and while 
And while the topics today are can can seem a, a little uh, depressing and downing, uh, it, this is a wake up call. If if this is depressing, this is your this is your wake up call to stand up and do something about it. And well, it's, it's it starts it starts with prayer, and then yep. and then you 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 bring that light into the world. It's funny um, how many people report that hearing hearing the truth, even when it's horrific, hearing it just spoken aloud, they find it to be invigorating, encouraging, vivifying. Of course it is. That's, that's what the truth is. It vivifies, it animates, it, it inspires because it's the truth, even when it is the most terrible, terrible thing. And remember the ultimate um, statement of truth, which is simultaneously um, a statement of the most horrible thing that could ever, has ever and will ever happen in the entire universe is the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which is the which is also the most beautiful thing that one can sit in front of and stare at and contemplate. It's the most horrible thing that's ever happened, and yet it's also the most beautiful thing that's ever happened because the truth will set you free. And it is the most um, complete expression of love that that has ever been made and ever could be made. And, and, and on that made. note, uh, until next week, I am Super Nerd, and we'll see you then. God bless, guys. Thanks. Thanks.